0: J.I. Packer was a famous scholar and theologian, and he was asked the question, what is a Christian? And his answer was, quote, the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The truth of our adoption gives us the deepest insights the New Testament affords into the greatness of God's love. End quote. As I was preparing for what I'm going to be saying today in this episode, I read a story about Abraham Lincoln, and the story tells how Abraham Lincoln went down to New Orleans and he purchased a slave girl. And upon buying her, he immediately told her that she was free to leave. He purchased her for the sole purpose of setting her free. Now, this story, as romantic as it might be, it's not a true story, but it can help us get in the right frame of mind for what we're going to be talking about today. Imagine if it was a true story, but not only did he set her free, but he decides he's going to adopt her and make her his very own daughter daughter, with all the rights and privileges that come with that of being a member of Abraham Lincoln's family. Imagine that. That, dear friend, is what our heavenly father has done for us through his only son, Jesus Christ. So with that kind of mindset, let's press on here and read the word of God from Galatians chapter four, verses one through 20. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from the slave, though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those by which by nature are not gods. But now, after you know God, Now, after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have my doubts about you. 20 verses of Scripture in the fourth chapter of Galatians. That's a large chunk that I usually don't take. I normally take three to five verses, maybe 10 verses, but 20. Why did I take such a large section of scripture? Well, one reason that I chose to do it this way is there is a lot of repetition here in the fourth chapter of things already previously covered. And so we kind of want to pick up our pace here just a little bit in this chapter. And we want to consider the new points brought out here. And I think there's three specific things that we can look at. The first is adoption. And it's adoption in a way that we might not think of it here in the West or even in modern times. In the Roman world, a father could set the date when his son would come of age. In other words, it was the father that decided when you were going to be an adult. And this was symbolized through a toga ceremony where the toga of the child was taken off and the toga of an adult son was put on and it was understood that with the passing of this new um, addition to the wardrobe that all the rights and responsibilities of that exchange were implied with that so in our era we generally take adoption as creating a parent-child relationship where none had existed before. And while the parents certainly do love the adopted child, um, and the proper authorities usually put mom and dad through extensive scrutiny, um, but our governing authorities are concerned with a legal connection. Now, this doesn't in any way diminish the love that the parents have for the a new child or uh, any of the other family members, uh, they all welcome the adopted child, but the law simply, if I can be blunt, does not care. The law is interested in the legal connection, making sure everything is done correctly so that it cannot be undone. In verses 1 and 2, Paul deliberately is using the Roman understanding of adoption. And, of course, that's where he was at in time and location. But it's interesting that in the Roman understanding of this, there already existed a biological relationship between son and father. And he's using this view of adoption to explain his point. It better represents the teachings of the New Testament on the whole because we are adopted by the Father who has created us all. And you will remember from the previous episode in Galatians, I made the point that in a very broad and strictly creative sense, God the Father is the Father of all humanity in that he created all humanity. But we see that with God's adoption of his spiritual children, through Christ, there's more than just the technical aspect of him being the creator of all things, but we have been brought in to a family connection through Christ, and it is evidenced in us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember that justification, which is one of the terms that we've talked about, it is a legal term. So we are both legally adopted and we are in the family so we've got it both when we think about our adoption as christians you can think of it like this god gave us his forgiveness through his son and we in turn get rid of our idols you see they are not our real fathers the one true living god is our father As Christians we are loved with the same love that the father has for his eternal son we have been set free but we're not orphans we have the privilege to come directly into the innermost sanctum of God's family remember that Patagogos that we talked about that guardian schoolmaster tutor you see the law had its place but only until Christ came as we read in Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 Paul reiterates this point here in verses 3 through 5 of our text today. It says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. I made a really big deal in the previous episode about our inheritance And this is what I had in mind. You see, we've talked a great deal about the law of God, but now we're going to shift it just a little bit. The Galatians, at least those who were Gentiles, they were still under the law. Even if it was one of their own making, they were pagans. The Bible even addresses and tells us that we're all under God's law, whether we're Jew or Gentile. But I want us to think about pagan understanding of the law. In verse 3, where it uses the phrase elements of the world, we should try to think about the ancient world, and it's hard for us to do this, but think of a world where there was no gospel. Think of a world BC, as we would say, before Christ. There was superstition, there was fear, there was a fear of the spirit world and all of its so-called gods, polytheism, kind of ruled the religion of the day. And the elements were understood to be earth, wind, and fire, Uh, not the band. (laughs) But uh, earth, wind, and fire, and water, the sun, moon, stars, and the planets, they all had to be appeased in order to obtain a blessing. And Paul makes reference to this again in verses 8 through 11. But the point is this, if I could borrow the words of Bob Dylan, that great, Uh, poet. Um, He did an album, I want to say it was in the early 1980s, um, and the name of the album was Saved. I remember the album coming out and people celebrating that uh, Bob Dylan had embraced Christianity. I truthfully don't know where he is at with that today. Uh, It could have been just a phase. We see this a lot with celebrities where they will kind of give Jesus a try and then you look them up a few years later and they we learned that they did not have a genuine conversion experience they did not truly uh, come into the family anyway Bob Dylan said this quote you're gonna have to serve somebody it may be the devil or me it may be the Lord but you're gonna have to serve somebody and uh, the name of the song is actually serve somebody And his whole point was, we are creatures uh, and we were created to worship and we will worship something. And so these pagans were worshiping whatever it was in their um, spiritual superstitious belief and their false gods. But you see, because of our adoption as Christians, we now turn towards the one true living God and we reject the idols It's a massive shift in our thinking because we want to have a relationship with the one who is the blesser not the blessing. in other words we we desire and we value the relationship with God more than what he is going to do with uh, do for us and friends that is true liberty under the pagan mindset, The idea was do something in order to get something. In Christianity, we come along and we say, you can't do anything. You can't. You will never be good enough. That is why you need a Savior. And that Savior came to us, the gospel, the good news in flesh and blood Jesus Christ Romans 5 8 and 10 says but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and I've shared with everyone on this podcast how about my thinking shifted over time and it took years I didn't even want to tell anybody what was happening to me on the inside, theologically speaking. But it's verses like this one that I just read, which made me realize that I had never, ever, never made a move toward the Lord. It was God. It was the one who was offended, who was not just offended, but offended by me personally. He is the one who came to rescue me god truly shows us what it's like to bless your enemies because i was an enemy of god and he blessed me and verses three through five of this text we are told that god sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem us he is the one who came to rescue me let us not forget for one second that jesus christ is god in the flesh the gospel the good news came to us in flesh and blood john 858 tells us that jesus he was having an exchange with the jewish leaders of the time and he said to them most assuredly i say to you before abraham was i am his audience had made the claim that they were somebody because they were children biologically speaking of Abraham and Jesus is saying to them and they fully well understood what he was getting at. It's one of his, I am statements that we find in the book of John. And he says, I was before Abraham. I am, I am the, I am, I am God in the flesh. There's people that want to muddy this up, but let me assure you, his audience fully understood what Jesus was saying. And that's why they wanted to charge him with blasphemy, because they were saying, uh, you are claiming equal status with God. But The point is this. God came to us. This adoption that I'm talking about, it takes place for us, and it puts us into the family of God by God. It establishes us as children and heirs. We enjoy a closeness, an affection, and a generosity that this world does not know. To be saved is a good thing. I love the fact that I am born again and that God has saved me. But I want you to think about this. He loved us and he cared for us. We are cared for and loved by God, the father, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. It is like the icing on the cake. It's like the cherry on top. It's like going to get one of those fancy coffees. And they ask you, would you like whipped cream on that? And you say, yes, what I'm telling you is this is the whipped cream. So to speak, we are loved and cared for by God as father. It's even greater still. And what is our inheritance because of this adoption? We have an inheritance of the Spirit. Back in Galatians 3.14, Paul tells us the Holy Spirit is the inheritance. It is the Holy Spirit that brings us all the blessings and all the promises of God. And I've heard it said like this. If the Son came to give us the status of sonship, then it's the Holy Spirit who was sent that we might experience it. It meaning the life, not not the Spirit. The Spirit is not an it. But he came to give us sonship, and the Spirit came to give us the experience that goes with that title of being a child of the risen King. In verse 6 of our text, Paul tells us that God has sent his spirit into our hearts, and it is by that spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic. It is uh, most closely related to our word in English, Daddy. You may remember if you saw the movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, there's a scene where Jim Caviezel, who's the actor playing the part of Jesus, he calls out, Abba, Father, at one point, Abba, Abba, and he begins to pray. It's not a formal address. It's more of a closeness. It, it really signifies, like I said, the same thing as if we were calling out to our daddy. And that inheritance is wholly relational. In other words, because of the spirit of the living God, we have relationship with God it gives us assurance from the father a home with him we're not homeless orphans we have his presence no matter what life brings to us we have peace and tribulation and we have a desire to tell others about the peace that we have found that brings me to my second point for today birthright we talked about adoption. Without adoption comes a birthright. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 34, there is a familiar story there. If you don't know it, go back and listen to my podcast episodes where I covered Genesis. The summary of what you will find there in that particular passage is simply this. Jacob tricked his brother Esau into giving Jacob the birthright that rightfully belonged to Esau. The Bible tells us in that story that Esau despised his birthright. Esau stood to inherit two-thirds of Isaac's estate. And Esau traded that estate, two-thirds of it, something of infinitely more value. He traded that for some soup and some bread because he was hungry. Now, there's a whole sermon in that section alone, but I bring it to mind so that we can see how it applies to our spiritual birthright. We have been adopted by God and we have a birthright. We have a right and a privilege and a possession because of our spiritual birth. In verses 8 through 11 of our text, Paul reminds his audience of what we were. We served other gods. You might not think that you served gods. Let me just assure you, you may not have built a statue and bowed down to it or, you know, made it out of wood or stone or whatever and bowed down to that thing. But our hearts, as Tim Keller said, our hearts are idle factories The idolatry is something that takes place on the inside, takes place in the heart. Building a statue and bowing down to that is just a symptom of a greater problem. The problem's on the inside. So you may not physically have an idol, but your heart generates idols. And we need to be careful. God has set us free from that but we can be just like the Judaizers. And remember in the book of Galatians, we're dealing with these Judaizers. We want to go back. Now for us, it might not be law keeping something like circumcision or feast days and all the rest, but we want to go back because our flesh loves the things that are tangible, things that are predictable, things that are immediately gratifying. We might not use these exact words, But we have to be on guard against thinking, Lord, give me your blessings. Lord, I've done the right thing. Lord, I've been good. I go to church. I've given money. I've given time. I pray. I kept the rules. You start thinking like that, friends, and it's no different than wanting to go back to the idols and go back to the law. It's doing something to receive something. And that is not The kind of relationship that we have with God now, because he is our father, he has already been appeased by the blood of the lamb. And because he is our father, we have a birthright. The father, you know, throughout my life. I've known several people who were adopted. I could probably count up at least five right off the top of my head. And in every single case, they were loved and they were raised well. And they love their adoptive parents. Why? Because that's the only parents they've ever known. The adoptive parents, and you can just go ahead and get rid of the word adoptive. The adoptive parents are the parents. They are the parents. Why? Because they knew the child first you got to get this. It's so beautiful. It's so sweet. They knew the child first, and they took them to be a full member of the family. And that is what has happened with us, dear Christians. As Christians, we know God because he knew us first. People want to switch that all around, but try as you might. What I'm giving you is the truth. He knew you first, period. That is borne out all through Scripture. In John 4, we read of the woman at the well. Remember, Jesus knew all the details of this woman's life. You can go to John chapter 4 and read about her life. It was not pretty. But Jesus showed her all that she had done. But he wasn't there to condemn her, but to give her his grace. Jesus revealed himself to this Samaritan woman, and in turn, she went back into the city, told others about Christ, and they came out of the city to meet Jesus. Here's the point. Jesus brings your sin into the light, and he expels our darkness because of his light. And what do we get for that? We are free then to enjoy this birthright. To come to God as our father and enjoy all of his riches, blessings, and promises. All the promises of Abraham are now mine. And going back to the orphanage at this point would just be foolish. It would be beyond foolish. And that's why Paul asked the question in verse 9, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? It's a question. You see, the woman at the well, she went and got the people of the city and brought them to Jesus. Why? Because she was free. And that's what we should be doing because we are free, but we are not orphans. God knows you better than you know yourself. And as your father, he will take care of you. Now, remember, his love and care for you is not going to be probably the way you think it should be. As parents, we've had to discipline our children. Anyone who's had children knows that you've had to do that. They would probably think at that moment, you don't really love me, but yes, you do love them. It's just sometimes you have to communicate through pain because it's the only way that they will listen. It's no different with us and our heavenly father. You see, we're part of the family. In verses 10 and 11, we find some interesting observations going on that the Galatians themselves are doing. There is a reference here to days, months, seasons, and years. And some believe, and I agree with this, that these Gentile believers were attempting to observe the Sabbath, new moons. The seasons here is a reference to the feast days on the Jewish calendar. Perhaps these new believers even thought that this is what they had to do to be part of the family. But take a look at verse 11. Paul states that he is afraid in respect to them, that his labor was in vain. Martin Luther says about this very verse, these words breathe the tears of Paul. In other words, You do not have to make these Jewish observations. Friends, you are my family. There's a painful emotion in the words of Paul here. We see that in verse 12, Paul's appeal to his readers is on a personal level. And he says, I urge you to become like me because I became like you. He has in view freedom from um, the Judaistic observances. He became like them in that Paul left the legal restrictions that were in the Mosaic ceremonial law that would not even allow him to interact with Gentiles. Just as Paul had found freedom from the law through Christ, he passionately urges them to be free from legalistic bondage. And when he states, you have not injured me at all, he is reflecting on his positive interaction with the church in Galatia. In other words, Paul is saying, you were good to me during my visit with you. I want this relationship to continue. And the reason for this desire in Paul is made clear throughout the entire book of Galatians. He had a familial love for these people. There's also a physical pain that Paul suffers. In verse 13, Paul reminds them that he had some kind of a physical infirmity. There is an interesting phrase in verse 15 where Paul says, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. It seems like that Paul's mention of illness and this phrase comes out of the blue compared to everything else he's been saying up to now. What does it mean? In the Almost like in the middle of this letter, he's just saying, you know, you guys would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. What does that even mean? What's it got to do with anything? Well, we do know that from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And we know at the end of Galatians, Paul comments about the size of the letters that he's using to complete the letter now we don't know what his physical element was the Holy Spirit has chosen not to reveal that to us it doesn't matter it's not important but when you put it all together and you look at what is in our text here some people have speculated that Paul may have had vision problems I think it's a safe guess when you look at verses 13 and 15 here but we don't know it's some kind of a physical ailment he's saying I was sick the Greek word here means illness of the flesh bodily ailment infirmity weakness and here's why this is important friends The Galatians were reminded of the close relationship that they had with Paul. And it implies, because this is an open letter to the church in Galatia, it reminds us that everybody knew that something was going wrong with Paul. He was sick in some way. Why is that important? Why is it important that the whole congregation knew about Paul's circumstances? Here's why. It implies that there's a closeness there, a closeness of family. Who loves you when you're sick? Who takes care of you when you're not feeling well? It is your family who steps in to that role so many times. You see, A great thing for us to consider when we're looking at this is it had been a rough missionary trip for Paul at this point, right? John Mark has left, and Paul even says that he had to stay a little bit longer in Galatia. There's this idea that maybe his health caused an issue and he couldn't travel. You know, would God either make or allow someone to be sick for his own glorious purposes? Yeah, he sure would. Would he do this to keep Paul there preaching the gospel? Yes, I believe he would. Would God use this opportunity to strengthen the bond of family and birthright? I believe he certainly did. And that brings us to my third point for today as we're getting ready to wind it down here. And that is the point of family. You see, as Christians, we define family differently than the world does. The vocabulary is being changed by those in our culture worldwide, really, who are enemies of God. They are enemies of God's design. But family for the Christian is a biological male and a biological female entering into marriage into a marriage covenant uh, for life in the sight of God. And it's a beautiful thing because we know that from that union come children and children are a blessing from God. When we have children within the family unit, they become brothers and sisters. The more you have, the more brothers and sisters you get. And there are bonds between those brothers and sisters that remain, even in the worst of circumstances. My point is that family should never be your enemy. Verse 16 begins with a transition with another one of Paul's rhetorical questions. He says, am I now your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Friends, words from those that we love the most can often sting the most. No one can hurt me like those who are close to me can hurt me. We probably all can identify with that. The closer you get to me emotionally, the more stock I have in your opinion, which is most often expressed in words, right? And there's a good chance that even some of us uh, who are listening to this uh, podcast Right now, you are remembering something hurtful that someone in your family said it wasn't a stranger. It was somebody in the family, somebody who you love. But sometimes, not always, sometimes our family members are just trying to tell us the truth. They're trying to be honest with us. Sometimes they actually do love us and they have our best interests at heart. You see, the Galatians appear to be unable to handle the truth that Paul is giving to them. But he reminds them that he is their true friend. He is a family member. Even though his language has been harsh throughout the book of Galatians, it comes from a heart of love. And this question of Paul's is actually a statement, even though it's a question, it's more of a statement about what the Judaizers think of him. It was the Judaizers that were trying to disparage his reputation. It was the Judaizers, remember, who were saying, we have come from Jerusalem. We have the real gospel. Whatever it is that Paul is saying is not true. Verse 16 starts off with our favorite word, therefore. What's it, therefore? Well, it reflects us back to the previous verses. You once loved me enough to give me your own eyes. You treated me like an angel sent from God. What happened? Am I now your enemy? God's family members experience transformation There was a transparent and tangible love which flows out of the gospel that Paul preached. There had been a transformation among the Gentile Galatians. You see, being sick in the ancient world, especially among pagans, it was viewed as something demonic, something sinister. You did not allow a sick stranger to come into your community. Sickness could signify a curse. Or that the gods were displeased. Yet. This is the opposite. Of what the Galatians did for Paul. It was Christians. Who welcomed in the sick. I would remind you that wherever the gospel goes. Wherever Christianity has been given the freedom. To flourish. Things start to happen. Things like. Literacy rates increase. Hospitals are built. Orphanages are built. I'm not saying that there's um, no other organization that does these things. I'm not even saying that people can't read until Christianity gets there. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the conditions get better. If there is literacy, it begins to increase. As Christianity spreads, medical advances, scientific advances, they happen because of a Christian and a biblical worldview. Take out Christ, take out the Bible, and we all begin to digress. That's just a fact. You may not like it, but do some research and you'll find that everything I just said is true. Where Christianity goes, all these things advance. What's that got to do with anything? It means that they welcomed Paul in in the midst of a culture that would have been uh, perfectly at home, perfectly normal to reject him until he could get whatever it was that was wrong with him until he could get it fixed. So they welcomed him in, but now things have changed. And the reason for the change is because of the courtship, so to speak, from the Judaizers to the Galatians. See, the Galatians had fallen for the flattery. And Paul says the Judaizers are zealous to win over the Gentile Christians, but the motivation is not pure. The motivation was not honorable. It was not unselfish. And it's going to harm them in the long run. It's the Judaizers that did not love them like family. The Judaizers did not love them like Paul loved them. So who or what is courting you right now? And I can guarantee that whatever it is, it doesn't love you like Jesus And I'm talking about things theologically here. Whatever the thing is that you are tempted to add to the gospel so that you can get some cool points with God, whatever that thing is, it's just going to leave you empty. And theologically speaking, if it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, simply it is not his love, period. You see, Paul wants him to change back. if I can use my paraphrase here, I would say it like this. Paul saying, just like Jesus, I have entered into your world to serve you. I don't want you to mimic my appearance. I don't want you to mimic my interests or try to work for it or earn it. I want you to know my joy. I want you to enjoy the grace and freedom that I have. I desire for you to have a delight in Jesus like I do to be transformed, to join me when I say I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in Galatians 2.20. Such freedom is what Paul was jealous for when it came to the Galatians. Freedom. Freedom comes from the gospel. Family comes from the gospel. False teachers of today, and I've said a lot of things about false teachers on this podcast, but they will do in some form what the Judaizers did back then. It's just the same lie wrapped up in a different kind of clothing, so to speak. They add to the simplicity of the gospel and they appeal to the flesh. They will preach either legalism or license, but true Bible preachers like Paul, want us to have the joy, the uh, enjoyment, if you will, of the full adoption and birthright of being in the family of God. At my church where I pastor, I use the term faith family. Now, I did not invent that term. I actually picked it up from someone else. But now you have some kind of idea after hearing this episode of what I mean by this term. Christians are my faith family. And Christ has brought us into the full rights and privileges that come with that. And this is my desire for the church where I minister. You know, I would like for every church, every church that is a true Bible-believing Christian church, I would like for them all to be known as a place of peace and a place of a family of faith. I want that for God's church, universal. So if you're listening to this and you are in a church, you are a Christian, ask yourself, How are you measuring up? And then go seek your leadership and find out what you can do to make it better. The church today, unfortunately, in the West, we've all heard this. If you've been around for any length of time, the church is accused of things that um, are considered to be hypocritical or wrong, hurtful. And it's a shame. It really is a shame. We want to strive to be better. We don't want to have those accusations come against us and be true. Those accusations are going to come whether they're true or not. What we're concerned with is that we don't want them to be true. We want to be a place of peace and a family of faith. You've got a rich birthright. You've been adopted. You've got a great, big, wonderful family. Do not sell it for a cup of soup, and some bread. That said, God bless you, and we'll see you on the very next episode.
1: A trooper, you might be some young Turk. Maybe the head of some bigger TV world You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. Maybe living in another country under another name. But you're gone. I have to serve But you're gonna have to say Christine, you may call me Chrissy. You may call me Chris. Oh, you may call me Christy You may call me Kaya. You may call me Kay. You may call me anything, but no man. You say you know you're gonna have to sell somebody